Hello and welcome to the Health Excel Digital Health Podcast. I'm Chandana. And I'm Martin. With us today, we have Bill Toronto, who is the president of Merck GHI. Bill, thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. So we're here in sunny Barcelona and you're on the end of a 12-day trip around Europe, is that right? Yeah, we're, we actually brought a team here to really begin to understand what the needs of our MSD companies are because we want to actually start to deploy more capital in Europe than we did before. Great. And so that's, you know, I think one of the more exciting things that we have coming out of GHI in the future is really revamping up our, our European investment presence. Okay, super. So we're going to take a step back, right back to the early days. And you grew up in Florida. Yes, Give us a little bit of background on Bill so that the listeners can get a sense of who you are before we get to the Merck story. Sure. I ended up in, in Miami. Uh, my father was in the military. He was a career Air Force pilot and ended up in Florida to go into the airline business. Um, but I had moved around quite a bit as a small child. But by the time I got to Florida, I was still quite young enough. And that's obviously where I spent my adolescence and teen years and uh, uh, went to high school down there. And that's where I finished high school. But uh one of the neat things about being down there, my family was big boaters. My father was a, totally into sailing and racing boats. Right. So my brother and I grew up racing J-class boats. We, every summer, would uh, go out and sail to the islands off, you know, Florida coast of the Bahamas. Sounds wow. It was wonderful <laughs> growing up. You know, if you like water and you like yeah. the ocean and fit, deep sea fishing and, and yeah. uh, every summer, my my job was being a lifeguard, which wasn't too much of a hassle, but, uh, but that's what you do down there, right? Yeah, you yeah. grew up in Miami and you'll yeah. That's like the, the, the regular lifestyle. Yeah. It's warm all year round, so you got to do warm climate, you know, type of things. But um, uh, it was a great life down there. Just we had a, you know, a lot of fun and a uh, good, good time growing up okay. uh, in, in, that, in that area. And you left that paradise? I did, I did leave that paradise to go to school in New York, um, okay. which is a little cool. unusual going all the way from Miami to, yeah. to New York. I went to a, a small Catholic college called St. Bonaventure University and mm-hmm. a number of different reasons why I went there. But it was actually during when I went to college in the early 80s, it was a fantastic business school and it actually was known as an accounting school. Um, and my, my actually my first major when I was there, my first year, I was actually a pre-med major. Um, really? I I thought I you were going to be doctor. a doctor? I did. But, wow. but what happened is just, just sometimes a, as a kid, you don't know what, what you don't you know. Yeah. And I, and I kept thinking, wow, seven, eight years of schooling additionally. Mm. I want to get out of the work world. And, and that was the booming time of yeah. Wall Street in the 80s. And, right, and right. so I said, oh, I, I, don't, I don't think I want to. This is too long for you. So you started? Or are you just, I did it's one the year pre-med. Oh, pre-med yeah. major. Then, no, and then switched to business school. And, yeah. Uh, we were talking a little earlier, and what I actually wanted to do, I, I wanted to be in the advertising business. That was my sort of career goal: go to Chicago or New York and work for one of the big Madison Avenue. Yeah, one of the big advertising houses. You know, I thought I was a funny guy; I could create funny commercials and that kind of stuff. And <laughs> Mad Men. Uh, you know, it was a funny time. I had you know good grades and everything was interviewing, but just didn't get placed. And then I had a good friend of mine who uh, got placed in a, a big bank in New York City, and and. If people remember, I graduated in 1985, and this was during which Wall Street's biggest year, you know time. It was uh, you know big time for for financing and Wall Street and equity and those type of things. Yeah. And asked me, um, you know, if they were hiring, would I consider putting my application in? And I said, well, you know, I'm not really a finance guy. Yeah, it's not really my thing. I'm not a math guy. I don't think I'd fit. And he said, yeah. well, just go ahead and try it. And, 
part of the thing too is my father said you got to get a job. <laughs> there was some pressure. Uh, he said, don't off, come off home. My payroll. Yeah, yeah. But then your dad. Yeah, owned... I had a fun time in Miami, but you're not coming home. <laughs> so that was. Part but of did it. you not want to go back and maybe run your dad's uh, airplane business? No, it, it was the, the type of airline it was. Um, it was big cargo airline, and my father had national security clearance, and no additional family members could work for the airline. Oh, really? Um, uh, without. So how could he hire people then? No, no, no family. family no family only. Uh, yeah, uh, only one person per member per family is around national security clearance. So my brother and I, I have an older brother and a younger sister. None of us were ever allowed to work for the airline. I never did. And oh, wow. so, but, uh, but yeah, so I got this job and uh, all of a sudden I did really well. I took to it. I, it was, a you know, what people also don't realize part of Wall Street is it's a people job. You yeah. know, yes. you, you interface with a lot of different people. And, and what was the job specifically, Bill? Pardon me. What was the job? It, it was it, well when I so you go through this training program and then when you're done it was it, I don't know if it's done this way today but it was a little bit sort of like the military where they just kind of pointed at people like you're going on the bond floor you're going okay. on the trading floor you're going to be in equities yeah. you're going to and they kind of pointed to me and said healthcare banking investment oh, banking and I'm right. like, okay you know what did I know and kind of learned in the business of it and and one of the earlier clients of mine was Johnson and Johnson and so but it was only on the buy sell side it wasn't doing anything you know. Mm -hmm what I do today. Mm -hmm. um, and then over time, uh, you ended up getting an offer to go join J&J, &J, um, which started my real healthcare okay. career. Okay. Uh, but when I first joined J&J, &J, what was interesting, I, I was joining to go and um, eventually be in their investment group, but the person that brought me in thought it would be neat if I learned the business, because I didn't actually know anything about healthcare or, or pharmaceutical mm -hmm. business. And so I did all these rotations at the beginning where I, I carried the bag. Like I, I, carried, I went back to Miami, to believe it or not, things. to carry, I did six, seven months as a field sales rep, mm -hmm. went to Atlanta as a hospital rep, then moved to, then, it, you know, they wanted to have some management experience. So then I moved to Dallas and uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico to just do some management jobs. Right. Um, it, it, that wasn't a very long time. It was only a couple of years of, of doing that. But, just but you've really, really done the grind. Getting the, the business in. I had this interesting opportunity to go back to the investment group, which was Johnson Johnson Development Corp. But then I got this offer to go to Europe. Um, okay. Which, and at the time I was sing, still single and thought that would be a great adventure. And the opportunity was to move to Antwerp. Belgium. Belgium. Right. And um, that's where Johnson Johnson's international headquarters was, was in Beers, Belgium. Right. And part of my job during that time was running strategy for Europe and Asia Pacific. And and and, and at the time, the boss I had was um, really interested in putting capital to work in sort of startups around healthcare technology. Um, and a lot of it was around a handheld Messaging. This would have been quite like earlier. The, yeah, this was very just, early. Yeah. So this was 99. Okay. Um, so we didn't know oh, it, dot com. it wasn't well, called pre, digital health. This is pre what you call digital health, but it was, but. It, like pager. Yeah, but if you remember <laughs> the Palm Pilots and right, the right, right. original handheld <laughs> right. devices, well, you could message off them. And, and we had this brilliant idea that if we could start investing in what you call today applications, they weren't really called that, but an interface that would allow you to do some messaging at the point of care. That would be an interesting way for pharma to detail and, and get messaging across. And right. we had started doing some investing then across all of Europe um, that actually was very, very successful. Um, and then what it kind of really ended up happening was after three years, we got to ask my boss, myself, to come back to the United States and start an investment group that looked at sort of that really health IT adjacency world. And that's how okay. I got into the business of investing in sort of that non-core technology world. Um, I've never invested in a therapeutic and that was never my role. Yeah. So my it's entire infrastructure you know, from 
you know, really starting in 1999, all the way through 2010, prior to joining Merck, all the investing that I did was all in this, what you call, early, you know, in 2000, we would we would just call it IT. Right. Kind of in 2003, it was health IT. Yeah. Right? But it was the same sort of concept. Yeah. And then by today, we, we, we refer to it as digital health. And yeah. And we call it something else later. But that's how I learned to invest. And, you know, J&J was an unbelievable company who love to experiment and and it was a great time to learn how to do venture capital but in this sort of space where nobody was really investing at the time right um, there wasn't a lot of groups how did this how did the dot-com kind of implosion uh how did that did that so we're affected it didn't which was really sort of fascinating it didn't affect so much what i did but mm. but believe it or not johnson johnson had something called ejj but it was more of a consumer facing dot-com sort okay. of company that kind of imploded, but we didn't because we were investing in what you'd really call health. In fact, one of the most successful things we did at the beginning is we started SureScripts along with Pfizer, oh. which is the e-prescribing yes. hub today. It's the largest, it's the yeah. e-prescribing it hub is, yeah. for the U.S. Yeah. You know, every script now that's electronic goes through, you know, it's their, they're mm. the broker basically exactly. that where all scripts end up for being transacted back at the pharmacy. You started that with Pfizer? We did it with Pfizer, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and it became such a very successful investment, but that's the kind of things we were investing in. And of a lot of this point of care tools mm -hmm. where we were trying to learn messaging at the point of care, we were doing early. It's like the earliest signs of like CDSS. Well, you would, I mean, really, really early signs of what you consider digital health today, but, it's, yeah. but it, it was really more, I would call it more heavy infrastructure IT. Yeah. Then it, mm -hmm. the service solution side, because it didn't quite exist um, mm -hmm. back then. Yeah. So, you know, everything around what, to, you know, today we call it, you know, data security, privacy, and storage, data aggregation, integration, and harmonization, mm -hmm. data analytics, and informatics. We didn't quite call it that back then, but it yeah. had the formation of analytics and how do you manage data? How do you start accessing data? The EMRs were just starting, mm -hmm. you know, how would you access data into the EMR? So we were investing in things that would allow those things to happen. So did you like it then? Oh, love it. it was yeah. a, I've had, a, what I find is a sort of interesting career because instead of doing the therapeutic side, you know, my world I find is more evolving because there's just so much technology that can impact any part of your life. And mm -hmm. if you think about healthcare, it's only in the last few years where technology really has caught up with healthcare as an yeah. industry. We're now starting to see it used practically in almost every part of healthcare. We'll soon, you know, see it more in the clinical setting, which is obviously, you know, since I work for Merck, we're more interested in the clinical side of the world um, versus the um, consumer side of the world. But nonetheless, we're starting to see, you know, real clinical application of technology within the healthcare industry. Yeah. It's just going to keep moving along. When I started, you know, the example I always give when I started with Merck in 2010, monitoring wasn't even known. I mean, it was yeah. like in its infancy. Today, you can almost monitor everything. Devices are so small, so sophisticated. You know, and that's the future of healthcare. That will become everyday use within the healthcare environment is monitoring of people. Right. And, and then that moves to then different places of care, right? Because you don't have to be in the hospital system or you don't have to go to a doctor's office. But you see the evolution over time. And, you know, what was interesting in my J&J &J time, though, was it was really early health IT infrastructure that today manages, you know, what you now see as EMRs mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, you know, uh, billing and all the things that run hospital systems that was all stuff that was available or starting to become available to invest in when i first started so you've been it from the start yeah it's, basically yeah so I, I would consider myself a pharma employee for, for you know, majority of for life. my career yeah <laughs> and you know and then i got very fortunate 
it, in 2000, it's a small world, right? And we were very successful, our little team, in investing in this sort of adjacency world. Not a lot of people were actually doing it. And Merck really had this vision. It's a little different today, but when we first started the fund, Merck had this vision of being more of a broader healthcare company and wanted to use it. How did you leave J&J? What, what was the background to that? Cause so I, got, I just got called. I mean, okay. literally, uh, Merck had called um, out of the blue um, and said they were looking for somebody to start their venture capital company because they hadn't done it before really and but they didn't know what they didn't know and all they knew was they wanted to do what we were doing at J&J we wanted to invest in this adjacency world we right. wanted to be a non-core investing group they didn't you know non-therapeutic and I said and that's really how it started and, and so I went in for a series of interviews and and after that many years at J&J J&J has a very specific model in which how they invest and 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 it's a good model and but I had some ideas that if you were going to do it slightly different mm. you know I would I would restructure the way I would do it right. to have a lot more freedom to operate, uh, be a little more independent, yeah. um, add more tools to the toolbox um, yeah. versus just venture capital. And I went into Merck, and I and I still have it today. I, I, it was a piece of paper with ten things on it that I was asking for, and uh, it was again it was things like straight. Kind of want to be in? It was you know, we wanted all the, all the money up front. We didn't want okay, to good. Up, right? <laughs> yeah. which a lot of corporate funds do. But yeah, we wanted to have, one. <laughs> right. We wanted um, an independent LLC. We wanted to be right. the team that developed all the strategy and investment thesis. We didn't want to take direct direction. Yeah. Though we'd be very mindful of Merck's. Corporate strategy, we wanted to create our own strategy. Yeah. I wanted to bring my own people. Yeah. Um, so it was things like that. And, and you know, I, I handed it and, and, you know, they said, yeah. yeah. Now, the dumb mistake I make, I, I should ask for a lot more money. <laughs> that wasn't on the list. You, you did okay, right? right? Hindsight, right? Yeah, I, I didn't <laughs> but, put that in But you're, you're like, what was it now, 1.2? Oh, we're, you know, we started as a, what, the funny history of the fund. So we, so I came over, I'll just kind of finish the story. Yeah. So I, 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 it was a great, right place, right time. Yeah. Thought it was a fantastic opportunity to run my own shop, yeah, and in the way that I wanted, um, and I could bring my team. And what I ended up doing was brought a bunch of people effectively built your own J and J over with me. Nice. Joe Volpe came, and Max Kahn came, and eventually Joel Crickson, and these are all exchange employees. And then rounded out the team with with a couple other individuals, yeah. uh, and one person that uh, Dave Stevenson happened to be in Merck, but we needed that Merck interface that mm -hmm. we did. Yeah. You know, I didn't know anybody at Merck, which was sort of strange, but um, and we. We started the fund um, in 2000 as a $125 million fund. Okay. That was the starting number. Um, and then we, we realized was it, the way we were investing and the speed of which we were investing. We, we did 11 investments our very first year. Most people don't remember back that far back, but we pulled off 11 investments in the first And at months. the time, was that really high by, by healthcare any standards it was massive yeah. we were blowing through capital yeah. relatively quickly and so we went back to the uh, board and the executive committee and said Look, we'd like to double the fund um, because of the pace in which we're going and the opportunities are out there and they agreed we you know, presented a business case but what ended up happening is um, we realized what was probably about so this was 2010 we started the fund so by about 2012 Health information technology was really starting to grow. The, the true infrastructure component of HIT that we see today, and Joe Volpe wanted to invest in that, and so we went back and asked to double the fund again, and that's how we ended up getting into five hundred million. Okay. Okay. Um, in two thousand thirteen, though, we also started a private equity firm, mm -hmm. and the reason we did that is um, if most people that know our fund, we did something called ecosystem investing, in which we. We um, try to build out an ecosystem of companies okay. that um, solve a problem within healthcare. Right. 
because we believe that point solutions um, just don't work in healthcare, yeah. and you, you like need suite multiple suite of things to do that. It, but the problem was the venture fund can only do so much. We needed to aggregate those companies, and this vent, this private equity fund would allow us to deploy larger amounts of right. capital and bring sets of companies together. So we started that, and that that was a little different. That worked on a capital call because it wasn't like yeah. every day we were walking in asking for money. But we would walk in and say, "We need you know X amount of money to do this," and they would just say yes or no. If they said yes, then we would get that capital. The fund itself was always fully um, uh, evergreen. Well, we had the money up front, then we evergreen the fund. And we're working on our second evergreen, but we've deployed probably in the 10 years between both assets, you know, over a billion dollars. And obviously we've returned all that back to Merck as well. Um, so financially, the fund has really done unbelievably well. Okay. Um, what's interesting is if you go back to the original remit of the fund, which was to actually put Merck in new healthcare businesses, we did that, and, and, and we acquired a number of businesses. What we kind of realized strategically, we probably weren't having the, the big impact that we probably could have had because the businesses were too diverse, very, very standalone, right. just things in healthcare. And yeah. Really, and then as Merck became more focused today, you know, when I joined, we were more of a consumer care-based company. Mm-hmm. Today, we're fully an oncology yes. company, right? Yeah. And so how did you align those? So we have to, so what happened was two years ago, Merck came back to us and said, look, we like your remit. We're not asking you to stop what you do looking at the adjacent world building ecosystem investing. What we'd like you to do is take a little more focus on what Merck does and what thinks about, and could you build ecosystems around that that we may not own, but we need them to exist in the world. So this um, is more Horizon 1 rather than Horizon 2, Horizon 3? I would call it, um, we were probably... You know, we were probably Horizon Three in the phase yeah. one of the fund. I would call it a little between one and two. One and two it's not too early, but yeah. we still need maturity. We're still a growth right. investor. Mm-hmm. But so the idea today is, for example, you know, we're heavily focused on building different oncology ecosystems. Right. You know, we have one that we're building all around patient care that our anchor tenant is navigating cancer. We have one that we're now building in pathology. Um, from the Merck Research Lab side and, and, and Path AI is our anchor tenant. We okay. have a whole analytics component that we built in our response to Roche buying Flatiron, which right. um, you know has Psyox in it, has Psyabs, uh, Navigating Cancer is one of them, Prognos. Okay. So we have, that's a whole big ecosystem on managing data um, that we maybe can't get from Flatiron or some of the other assets. Right. So we have all these different ecosystems, but they're a little more attuned and focused to where Merck is, but they're still very independent because it's not like Merck, we probably moved past a little bit Merck's sort of optionality around acquiring, though it still exists if they choose to acquire something they right. always can. Our focus more is now Merck, these, we're building these assets because you need that capability. You need to be a client of those and commit commercial dollars. You need to learn. And if you choose at some point you think you need to make it proprietary, yeah. you can always do that. But it's more important these things exist in the world for your development. Yeah. I was actually about to ask you to name some of the companies, but I think you've listed them already. Some are really interesting as well, uh, doing a lot of work in the space at the moment. So these companies you've named, like um, Psyabs and Prognos Mm -hmm. Navigating Cancer, they're also working with other pharmaceutical companies, right? Yeah. And what's interesting about our our sort of um, philosophy around investing, we're we're friends with everybody. Uh, we co-invest with our competitors, or at least what Merck would consider your competitor. We, we even have investments with BMS and Roche okay. um, in a number of different investments. I can, I can remember, remember you saying that when you started and you were going out to Silicon Valley and you're knocking on the doors of kind of traditional VCs and kind of they're saying, what are you doing here kind of thing, you know? And yeah. then, then over the years, that kind of switched around and... 
uh, and it became that this was, you know, so we got to know each other originally, originally when I was in IBM and, and through the kind of corporate venture capital world. And, and very few organizations have got it right. You know, in my opinion, very few have got corporate venture capital that. right. Um, but I can remember you telling the story about going and knocking on the door and coming back and then them saying, come on in. <laughs> you know, yeah, okay, well, after you, well, you it's a true story. When we, you know, because even though I had a good reputation was on Exchange 8, now I'm in a new setting and no, not that me personally never, but Merck had not invested. So they're looking at it as a new startup fund. And regardless of what I did before and my team did before, we were, we were starting over. And yeah, when we first went out and um, at least the non-corporate side of the world, you know, weren't very friendly because, of course, we didn't have any book. We hadn't right. done anything right. yet, right? right? In their eyes. Yeah, okay, yeah. that was J stuff, but what have you done lately? Yeah. And weren't, you know, really welcome, but we showed that, you know, we're a good syndicate partner. We invited them into yeah. really, really solid deals because we invest with everybody. I mean, literally, we're, we invest with health plans. We invest with other corporates, um, corporate competitors, corporates from other industries. You know, GE was always one of our big okay. co-investors. The private firms, you know, Kiner Perkins, all the big names, you know, we we invest with everybody. And we're always, what I believe is considered a, a good, one of the corporates that I think knows what we're doing. We stick with our investments. We're not fickle about what we're doing. Yeah. We, we are both financial strategic. We are trying to make money. So we align there. But it took a few years, I mean, before we kind of got welcome. You know, I would say today, which is, you know, we're very fortunate. We can call just about anybody and they'll return a yeah. call. And, yeah. and that's a good thing. But it wasn't quite that way at the beginning. Yeah. But that's, ten, that's a 10 year. It's 10 years. 10 years uh, right? my, my anniversary would be yeah. April 4th. Okay. 10 years, <laughs> well, April 4th. Yeah. 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 So when you look back on, you know, I guess almost 20 years, right? It was 20 years you take JJ. How do you think, you know, what's now called digital health? How far down the road do you think we've come? You know, you talked about, you know, we use technology in healthcare, but my view is we use it still, it's on the periphery. You know, there's, if you look at what it's done in other industries, I would argue that we're probably only still starting in some ways, but I'd be interested in your perspective of what's changed over the 20 years and kind of where you think Way we're on the journey. Yeah. yeah, I still think we're early. I mean, believe it or not, you know, other than what I mentioned earlier, that things like monitoring have really come a long way. But if you look at monitoring reimbursement, right, yeah. and a regulatory pathway around yeah. monitoring, especially from the clinical application of it, we're still not there yet. Uh, but I, I think what we're really starting to see, though, as I said earlier, is, is, is better adoption of technology. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's, a, there's still a few issues facing the industry, and this is on a global basis. And data is one of the biggest ones, is that the data in which we do have access to or the data that's collected is so much. I mean, it happens on a rapid basis. Imagine, you know, a monitoring device that's collecting 24-7 something, whether it's around AFib or mm -hmm. what, what happens to all that data and how do you curate it? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that problem today is that curation. We can't, yeah. we struggle as an industry. Um, it's not so much access, believe it or not. You can access a lot of data. Right. But the curation, getting into a format on which you can then put analytics in it is still and, really and early. It's, we're still on that early side of that component of healthcare. But that ultimately is, if, if you look at all the talks I've ever given over time, we've always had this strategy that data is the currency when you yeah. use a transaction in a future market. Yeah. That's still our strategy today. That was mm -hmm. our strategy 10 years ago. Um, and it's still the, you know, the main thing that's going to drive healthcare. But until we as an industry get a better hold and management an understanding of how the data works, especially in the clinical format, right? Yeah. We're actually pretty good, strangely enough, on things from the consumer side. You know, you wear your Fitbit and it works great. You know, if you're running five miles, you get, five your miles, feedback. You get yeah. feedback, 
right? But you know, what's the clinical evolution of that data, right? right? Yeah. And, and so that's the most important thing for, for reimbursement and then how a physician treats yeah. somebody. It's not so much the medical side of the world, which is a lot of consumer data. Yeah. So I think it's, an, it's evolving. We're, 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 what's the good news is why it should be exciting for people who want to invest in healthcare. It's still early where it's, you know, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of places you can invest in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, weeding through the noise. You know, the big word two years, three years ago was AI. Yeah. Right. And, and truly, you know, does anybody do truly do AI within healthcare? We don't know yet. We're, we're still trying to understand mm-hmm. how it truly works. They're using algorithms mm-hmm. in healthcare. But I don't know if it's true AI yet, but that'll come. Right. right. It's things like that. We're starting to see things around blockchain. We're starting to see quantum computing. Like all of this stuff is going to happen. But it, we're just an industry that adoption is slow. We're still very local and regional in how we treat yeah. healthcare. We're, in a lot of ways, we're not different than what happens outside the U.S., yeah. right? right? In the U.K., you have your trusts. Well, yeah. you have states that have their own right. way of doing right. healthcare. So it's just different. Do you feel then that data companies, so they have different sources of data, right? And I think that's what concerns me sometimes. How is this all going to come together? So do you feel like if they integrate it at the EMR level, that's really where you get the full picture? I don't, I don't think at the EMR level it's a full picture because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of things happen outside the EMR. Yeah. A lot of companies don't Your integrate life. to that are collecting data. That <laughs> life. Don't, life, yeah. yeah, a lot of companies collect data that don't integrate into an EMR and it's yeah. valuable data. Um, the question is, again, how do you create that longitudinal patient data set and where right. do you, what are the right pieces of data? So like exactly. building an ecosystem, right? A patient is your sort of anchor tenant, if you will, but it's a lot of different pieces of data that makes up what clinical decisions you're going to make about that patient for whatever journey that they're, that they're on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, I think it, that's still a long ways away in trying to really understand all the different data components that yes. are going to make up. The EMR was a good start yeah. and it's probably the most used asset today, but it's certainly not enough. Claims mm-hmm. data was good when it first came out. It's not enough. So what happens to all this new data? and all the rest yeah, of Yeah, you know, the genome sequencing and genomic data, all the omics will play a role. And, and, and whoever can start to figure out how yeah. you bring these pieces together, that's where the true clinical nature of healthcare is going to change. And I think, you know, regulatory needs to catch up. You know, they're, they're looking at it. We've seen some, you know, I think Francesco brought up uh, to us a few days ago that, you know, there's some certain new laws that we saw in Germany yeah. and the U.S., but... It's it's it, it you know that was a little more about reimbursement versus actual um, yeah, use of data right yeah. so it, I think we're in a great place like I said and so it just shows you there's a lot of the interesting assets that you can invest in because it's again it's not so much about access to data it's it's everything what else that happens with it? with it right it's yeah. it's that curation it's the aggregation integration using the harmonization it's the analytics and informatics it's all those other pieces that I think is where the real money in healthcare then. Do you think pharma is well positioned um, compared to? There's a lot of press about you know the big tech companies coming in, and and I think certainly there's certain parts of healthcare that are very scared by that. I'm kind of curious how you think that plays out for pharma. I, I think everybody has a role. You know, I think the interesting thing that one thing you, you can't take away from America is you know we are a clinical based company. Right. That's how we build our reputation. We still do ethical pharmaceuticals and vaccines mm-hmm. and and you know we have one of the best research labs in Merck Research Labs mm-hmm. and, and so we still bring the most knowledge about any disease state. What we don't what we're not is a technology company in the traditional sense. So the Apples and the Googles and all the different technology companies in the world, you know, have that component. And, and if I think if we just work more together, yeah. bring in the clinical with the techno the you know mm-hmm. technological side 
I, th- I think it brings a better solution to the market because ultimately all the technology companies don't want to get burdened on the clinical side. They don't want to practice medicine, right? right? Because right. then you get into the whole regulatory problem of which you don't want OIG and yeah. those type of things. And, and they don't want it. But I think when you marry the two in, a, in the right way, that's where the solutions and the services mm. and the, I think the, the innovation occurs. So I think to me, it's more about working together than working yeah. independently because they have their role because yeah. it's what they do, but they're not a clinical company. Right, right. Each one played to your strengths. Right? And, and remember, technology is only an enabler. Yeah. Right? It, Absolutely. It doesn't really cure anything in that traditional sense, right? It's an enabler to something. But when you mix the therapeutic with the technology, then it's it, to me, it's a much more fascinating way to go. And that's why we've always been open. We're always willing to work with you know, any technology company because we know that's not our specialty. Mm-hmm. Right. So what's the future then for for the fund? Well, I you know, we re, we just really refreshed the fund. So capital wise we are we are flush with good. capital. Good. You'll that's be pop, you'll be popular over the next couple <laughs> of days. Yeah. That's a good thing. Um, I, I think now with our new focus certainly on um, again, not so much the traditional core investor, but we certainly have this new focus on doing things in the areas in which Merck has an interest in. And one of the big things we're trying to do now is expand. We, we had tried to do it a few years ago to expand, um, you know, our global company in Merck, and we need to deploy capital beyond the United States. Yeah. Um, and so one of the big things we're trying to do is make sure that we, we deploy capital uh, across Europe. Mm-hmm. And we're now looking heavily, more specifically in Asia, in the, on the data side of the world, though. Okay. Um, just because that data we don't have access to. Okay. Um, so we're looking at different types of investments like get a little more access, but more broadly in the Europe side, it's going to be across everything we do from the service solution side to the technology side, mm-hmm. the infrastructure side. Um, and, you know, we think, you know, Europe has just so much innovation going on for it. Um, and we can get, you know, it's, you get lessons learned from everywhere. You learn lessons from single payer systems. You learn lessons how mm-hmm. technologies develop. The biggest issue you have in Europe is scale. Right. If something starts in a small country like Finland mm-hmm. and it works beautifully in Finland, it may not be. How do you move that across country borders to yeah. a slightly larger country to a slightly larger, you know, and but we do see that issue sometimes in the U.S. where something starts in, in the area of Boston, say, at Partners Health. And how do you grow beyond that? Yeah. Right. It's a great idea. But, you know, partners like it, but that doesn't mean Mayo is going to like it. Right. And, and so scale is it's just easier in the States. But there's a big scaling issue within Europe that I think we as investors have to figure out as well. Yeah. Is how do we get these great technologies, you know, not only to the U.S., but across Europe. Um, and that will be our focus with, you know, we're kind of, I would say we're relaunching 2.0. Francesca, what you did a wonderful job in launching yeah. the first version of our uh, European, European investment fund. strategy. A lot of good investments she did. And, you know, now we're ready to rebuild and, yeah. and, and launch in a different way that we did before. Incidentally, we are in um, one Frances- of the innovation Francesca's bin- garden. Yeah, Francesca's <laughs> digital, digital garden. garden. Yeah, yeah. Also in Europe's up-and-coming digital hub, which yeah. is in Barcelona. Yeah. So Super it's kind cool. of like a nice coming together of all the different themes. Indeed. What do you think needs to change, Bill, in terms of more rapid adoption? That's such a... That's the, you know, that's the holy grail. Um, it's it's such a tough question because we see real good adoption. You know, we're starting to see really good adoption on the physician side. Okay, you think um, so? I, I, I do in, in certain areas of healthcare, not in all, but you know, 
in a lot of areas mm. of healthcare. Tally it's health. not open now. I think well. you know, cardiology has yeah. adopted monitoring like yeah. no yeah. other, right? Yeah, you know, it's small patch based. You right. see yeah. neurology using you know algorithm and computer science to diagnose neurological issues. So we we do see it in practice. Um, there's still a lot of small, and this is globally, you know, small one doc, two doc shops that yeah. exactly. maybe even fully have accepted an EMR yet. But right, right. I, I don't have a perfect, you know, just to be transparent, I don't have a perfect answer on adoption and what you do. I, I think as technology evolves and, the, and technology has more of a clinical component, you'll see adoption, at least within the healthcare plan and the physician office, at yeah. least. yeah. Uh, yeah. But we're not, you know, we're not quite there yet either. So. But it's the holy grail, as you say, right? So uh, I think sometimes there's a lot of, pe you know, negativity around where we are. And it's actually when you step back from it, you realize how much the industry has come on. Oh my right? goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, if you if you go back to 99 when we started yeah. to where we are today, it is nine day from the sampling. Yeah. But both adoption and, and technology mm -hmm. and, and the rapid growth of you know, computer science within our industry. Mm. And then you can just imagine the next five years, it'll just even, we'll be further along. And we have this conversation again, we'd be laughing going, yeah. oh my God, look where we are today. Remember those Palm Pilot things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I look back at that Palm Pilot, literally, and, yeah. and, and <laughs> it, it was this big clunky device. Do you know what he's talking about? Things. Well, I'm imagining it's like one of the large cell phones. It, was a, yeah. it wasn't even a cell phone. Yeah. A Palm oh, Pilot was a handheld that all you could do was get data on it. It wasn't a phone or anything, but it was pretty big. It was like, you know, uh, almost six or seven inches long. The handwriting recognition, right? Is that the one? Yeah, I've seen my dad use yeah. a couple of these things, <laughs> yeah, but I don't a know. A lot, lot of executives, that was like the first technology <laughs> piece they used. Yeah. <laughs> it was called the Palm Pilot. It was big at the beginning, and that kept it smaller, where yeah. you know, then came yeah, out yeah. the phone. But, um, but it did all sorts of things on it, and, yeah, you know, and uh, kind of the precursor to the Apple phone today. Right. But, right. Um, you know, but where you look at just that, to the advancement where we are today yeah. with, it's with, phenomenal, with right? what you could do on a cell phone today right. you yeah. know, from an application perspective, and that's only been 10 years. Yeah, yeah. right, right. It is phenomenal. It's also interesting. This conversation is reminding me of Vishal Gulati's tweet recently. Um, so it's just kind of the skepticism on digital health and things. Um, I can't remember who was sick. So he, someone was sick that he knew of and he's taking them to the hospital and then his family is like, uh, where's your digital health now or something of that yeah. kind. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah, funny. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, look, oh, I'm still paper based. The health system yeah. still, and this is globally, still has issues in how patients are treated, but it, it, I, I'm a believer that it only can improve, right? We're, yeah. we're not, yeah. if, you know, we're not there yet, but of course, this is the, still the very infancy yeah. of, I think, where we'll be in 10, 20, 30 years, where it'll be yeah. ubiquitous in everything we do um, in our daily lives, and healthcare will finally have come around more fully yeah. and adopted it. You know, like we are, you know, in the banking industry, yep. you know, use your ATM card globally, you don't think about it. Right. Right. Healthcare's not there yet. We're we're still working on some of the things we need to work on. I think we could talk for, for hours. Ages. Right? And we're already kind of scratching sort of almost like a kind of very speed masterclass in, <laughs> in corporate venture capital, right? Yeah. But then a favorite question. Is it time for the favorite question? I was gonna ask one yeah, before go for we, it. we get into that. I'm curious about you know building ecosystems is hard, right? And and so you talked about this concept of a, of an anchor tenant. How do you think about if you take a space and say, okay, we want to build an ecosystem there? We got an anchor tenant. How, how do you think about putting the other tenants around, and how do you think about getting them to kind of work together? 
That's a good question. So our philosophy has always been, when we identify a use case or a problem we're trying to solve, there, there is no one entity that solves it. Yeah. That's the first thing you have to understand. Yeah. What we try to do is find an entity that solves a good portion of it. Yeah. And within that entity, we've identified the gaps that they have. Okay. Um, and so typically you might find an entity that can solve 40, 50% of it. Yeah. Maybe for lucky 60, it doesn't, yeah. you know, doesn't usually occur that way. But we take a really hard look at the, at the problem we're trying to solve and say, well, if this company can do this, and look, all companies always tout they can do more than they actually can do. So you have to have a real discipline about saying, no, no, this is what you actually do today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. yeah. We know you can do and everything. All but the right I know what you want to do 10 years from <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, right, right. This is what you do today. But you're big enough and you have enough revenue where you're, you know, you're a growth company. Yeah. And help them understand their gap. That's the big thing we do. We do this thing called a growth strategy framework. And what we do is we sit with a company, and this is usually pre-investment, and we walk them through what the next five years would look like, what they have to build organically and inorganically in order to be where they truly want to be. Okay. And what are the gaps that they have? And those gaps and help us identify, well, then what would the ecosystem look like if we needed to bring in those other companies or invest in those other companies and because we've done the work up front, usually the agro is always willing then to, to partner. They don't, we don't have to buy them yet. Great. And do commercial yeah. agreements with these other pieces of the gaps they have because the more, you know, the more broad solution that they can deliver in a one-stop shop, the more that it becomes attractive to the end user, whether it's us right. as the patient or provider or the mm -hmm. payer. And, and so that's kind of how we think about it. And then the key thing is to just understanding what the gaps are and then making sure you find those pieces to invest in that help fill those gaps. And we've been very good at getting lots of companies to work together. And then what the byproduct that becomes is when we choose to put an ecosystem together, which we've done, mm -hmm. you, know, um, you know, one of our big ones, which is still in existence today is in the cardiovascular space. Yeah. We put four companies together that is now Preventus today, right. 150 million in revenue, profitable, last private, cardio monitoring company, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's a very successful company and we yep. get, have options. We can IPO it. We can sell it. Right. We can yep. maintain it. You know, but the point is it works because we, we, we knew what all the gaps were yeah. and we built the company around filling all the gaps. So, and it doesn't mean we don't have additional gaps. We, can, we can't continue to grow, but we've got enough of the company today where we can solve their main roles to, to monitor AFib or we can be predictive around AFib. Yeah. Right. You know, we can manage AFib. And we can help that cardiovascular patient because we have all the pieces, at least yeah. today, to do that. Now, as you think further, well, could you add things like chronic heart failure? We don't have that component. Maybe diabetes, right? We don't do that. It's mm -hmm. a, I mean, it's a, it does one thing but does it well. Yeah. But that's the whole idea of how the ecosystem works is you really got to understand what are all the pieces you need to solve the problem yeah. and then work backwards yeah. and say, okay. What are we missing? And What am I missing and who does the most to get me started? Yeah. Because if you do one of the smaller ones, it's too much of a point solution, yeah. and, and the amount of capital it would take to build that company takes too long. Yeah. So we're always trying to find that growth company first, saying that they're far enough along, have enough of a paying base, they get reimbursement. Yeah. They may not be profitable yet, but they could be close. Mm -hmm. And these are the things they need to do, which is filling in yes. those gaps to really blow it out and yep. become a, a, a standalone company. Because ultimately, in the end, if you even look at a Merck, if a Merck wants to buy a company, a company with $100 million in revenue has no impact on the P&L. Right. Yeah. Right? But a company that's 500 to a billion is like a small brand. That's an attractive company. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so yeah. we're here to build, you know, big ecosystems and big companies. Yeah. Right? And that have impact in healthcare. Yeah. And what the Merck buys around is, is of no difference. It's, it's, they have impact in yeah. healthcare because they have the scale. Right. I think I think that's a really key point that you know one of the big challenges you have with any corporate venturing is you just can't move the needle. 
the the you know the I don't know what the revenues in America are, but sixty billion or yeah. you know, a lot of billions, a lot of billions. <laughs> lot right? of so so it's really hard to move the needle, as you say, because you know you have a company that's hundred billion. That's not going to do anything. But if yeah. you can create these ecosystems and you create this optionality, then that's strategic. Right. Yeah. That's right. Strategic. And, and and again, the more folks say is, Mark, as you become more tuned to these companies and become a client and learn on your own as well. Yeah. Um, and can our capital dollars help the companies build things that are important to you, pharma, not yeah. just you, Merck, but other pharma? Because the special sauce really is what, what a Merck does with it. And that's why we don't mind investing with other pharmas and, and it's yeah. an open network. These things just need to exist for our industry. Right. right. And it's what you do with it that makes separates you from the others. Yeah. Um, and so it's a sort of a pre-competitive thing we do with the investment. It's like, it's here for you to use, yeah. figure out how to use it. And if you use it better, it's yours. Great. Win-win. Yeah. <laughs> Super. Okay. So, so. Um, we always wrap up our podcast with one question. So if you were not Bill making all these investments for Merck, what would you be doing? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I, I actually, today, you know, going, I wouldn't be an ad man again now. That's not, that's not <laughs> a, that's Seriously, not a no. I think it would be really, I, I love music. I, I can't play music, uh, nor so can I sing. But I think it would be neat if, to have been a musician. Of some okay. sort, whether it was a rock musician or just, I, I would have loved to have learned how to play an instrument, and I would that would, would be a neat career if you could be a a musician. Yeah, not too yeah. some sorts. Not too late. Uh, probably, yeah, no. not too late. <laughs> it's never too late. <laughs> I can't carry it too, so that's not going to help anything. But that would be kind of something kind of neat to do. Um, cool. I, I just always thought that would be yeah. You didn't fancy joining? You're pretty funny. You didn't fancy. People thing. ask me that all the time. You yeah. asked me that a little while ago. Com- and, uh, a comedian. Yeah. I, yeah. The serious bill on them. Is yeah, I feel like I've yeah. only ever seen serious. Yeah, no, bill. no. I, uh, <laughs> no, the other no side. a lot of people have asked me that. Serious asked me that all the time too. And uh, yeah, I guess I would try that too. I okay. suppose you know something in the entertainment world, whether it's a musician or that, I should have said it that way. Probably yeah. something okay. in the entertainment field, I would have, okay. I would have probably considered. Right. So. right. Great. Thanks so much for coming. It's been us. awesome Thank to you. have you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Bye. Thank you.